My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. If you got your Bibles, uh, try to find Nahum. I say try because it's a tricky little booger. Um, in most of your physical copies, it might just be one page or a page and a half long. So be careful when you get to the minor prophets. I find it by finding Matthew and then turning left. So that's the cheap and easy way to go. But if you want to follow along with our uh, notes today, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, go to the Read tab uh, where you can read all the current and prior lessons. And then you go to the Nahum section on the left and uh, click on Week 2. So last week we introduced Nahum, uh, found it in the Bible, talked about who wrote it, talked about prophecy, uh, read the whole book. So quick, quick, quick review. Uh, Nahum wrote to which countries? Anybody remember? Uh so I heard a right answer and a definitively wrong answer. So Dave, you got it wrong, and Miss Becky, you got it right. But Dave, you're, you're like in the country, but it's not a country. So Miss Becky, the country is Assyria, and the city is Nineveh. There we go. Awesome. Cool. I have to point out when Dave gets one wrong, because it only happens about once a year. So there we go. <clears throat> it's for his uh, edification. So last week, uh, <laughs> it's your one for the year. There you go. That's right. So last week we talked about prophecy and how uh, the prophets would stand and they would deliver a message. And they saw what was right in front of them. And I, I think many times they probably believed that their prophecy was going to be fulfilled immediately. But what some of them may not have been aware of is that there would be waves of fulfillment uh, later on. And that's what we'll see uh, in Nahum as we go through. Uh, but this, I want you to keep this picture in mind. Uh, and then we also looked at the uh, idea of where Nahum was in history. So if you, if you think about uh, all of human history back here on the left, uh, and you're coming forward, and then the, the section of the kings occurs about 1,000 uh, B.C., the kingdom is split, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom is uh, taken away uh, into Assyria around 722 B.C. southern kingdom continues on for several hundred more years. Uh, they're taken away into Babylon in 586 B.C., but we have all these different prophets that are sent to the southern kingdom uh, and then a couple to the northern kingdom and then two to Nineveh specifically. Uh, so Jonah and Nahum are sent specifically to these pagans to tell them that judgment is coming. So does anybody remember what uh, Jonah's message was? Oh, no, no, no. What was Jonah's message? Don't, make up, don't put words in his mouth. What was his message? Say it again. Yet in 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. I didn't hear repentance in there, because Jonah was this bitter, suicidal prophet, right? He was really, really angry uh, about a lot of things. And the Ninevites heard, judgment is coming, so we should take action. So this happened about uh, 750 B.C., and about 100 years later, Nahum shows up on the scene. So... Jonah tells them, 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. They repent. Uh, less than three decades later, they take the northern kingdom off into captivity. So it feels like they unrepented, 
right? They went back on their earlier repentance. Nahum comes 100 years after Jonah, and that's where we get to today. So what would Nahum's message be? To the country that has literally taken off 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. So let's read uh, Nahum chapter 1. If you have found it there, that would be great. I'm reading out of the New King James. So Nahum 1. The burden against Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Yay! Rainbows and bunny rabbits. Yay! Right? You're like, no. (laughs) All right. So last week we talked a little bit about Jesus is in... Uh, Nahum, and we're going to talk a lot more about that today. So as you look over that text, as you look over that text, are there any repeated words, things that we might want to keep an eye out for as we walk through today? Was this a rather direct statement, Nahum 1? Did you feel a lot of ambiguity, a lot of wishy-washiness? Like Nahum's like, I'm not really sure how I feel. I woke up today and I'm not sure. No, he's, he's pretty direct. So when you're direct with somebody... You, 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 times 14. That's your first blank. You. You and your are repeated 14 times. And Jeremy, you actually got a little bit red, and I really was just using you as an example, right? But it doesn't feel good. It's, right? It's just, it's like that just, something's wrong, something's wrong. Yes, good, that's exactly right. Something is wrong, and Nahum is here to tell them. Any other really repeated word throughout here lord that's right and put that one in all caps if you would 
Because this is a very special uh, word for God. This is uh, Jehovah. This is the, the holy name for God. And then this idea of affliction, there's a cutting, there's wicked, there's uh, several other words, but these are the, the things that are repeated here in Nahum chapter 1. Now, last week I told you about a couple of websites. This is uh, studylight.org. Uh, this is their interliterary study, study Bible. Uh, you go and you can click on Hebrew words. That's what this uh, gobbledygook-looking stuff right here is. It starts from right to left. Uh, and if you click on this word, it's the word Nahum. And it'll tell you all about it and tell you what it means and where it's used and all sorts of fun stuff. So what I have done is I have gone through and I've done that uh, in my notes, not yours, because yours would be like 19 pages long if uh, I had given you all the notes. Uh, but in my notes, if you want to go to OurSundaySchool.com, you can see those there. Uh, but on yours, I've, had, I've expounded on several of the words, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through today. Now, do you remember what Nahum's name meant from last week? Anybody remember? Comfortable. That's right. Comfortable. That's your, first, that's your next blank there. So the burden, or this, this thing that's carried, this prophecy against Nineveh, it's the capital of Assyria, this book of the vision of Nahum, it means comfortable. <clears throat> now, at the time that Nahum was prophesying, this was Nineveh. They were very comfortable. Everything was good. It was basically at the height of their empiric power. But was it going to change? Yes, it was going to change. It was going to change very, very badly, right? Like literally a dumpster. The, the, the interesting thing is that for a very long time of human history, we couldn't find Nineveh because there wasn't enough left to find. And if you go back and you read the historical accounts of how great and powerful and amazing this city was, to think through the idea that there wasn't enough to find. Now, you can go to the uh, site of Nineveh today, and you can see buildings erected. And what they have done is they have replicated what used to be there, but it is not still there. And these prophecies that Nahum prophesies against Nineveh, they come true. So let's take a look at some of these verses here. Let's look at verse 2. It says, God is jealous. The word means jealous or angry. It means jealous or angry. And this might hearken you back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, when it talks about God as a jealous God, but I want to talk about horses for just a second. Right? So Josh, I need your help. What kind of a horse is this? That's a Tennessee walking horse, that's right. It's the only kind of horse that there should be. Um, <clears throat> this horse was actually owned by my grandfather and my uncle. It's Ebony's True Grit. I was a world grand champion in 1975. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, this horse made my grandfather a millionaire. Describe this horse. Somebody, what's the, the mood of this horse? Majestic, right? Powerful proud? Is there anything about this horse that screams anger? Yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, okay. What about this horse? <clears throat> You're like, oh, 
it was interesting. I love I loved getting back where I can see the whole room when I show you pictures like this because about two-thirds of you, watch me, you went, ooh, like, yes. We're at, we're at the optometrist now. One or two? Two or one? Like, which one do you prefer here? We definitely don't prefer that, right? Okay, I'm going to explain this Hebrew word for you. <clears throat> Let's keep going. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. Nakam. The Lord avenges and is furious. This is two Hebrew words. It's Baal and Shema. This is anger that's bottled up. It's, your blank is rage. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, on his enemies, and he reserves or keeps up wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow. Your blank here is patient. He is patient to anger. All right, you ready? Your next blank after anger is nose. That's what the word means. And you guys have heard me say this over and over if you've been in this class very long. This is what this word means. Now, a horse's nose is very long. It is a very large capacity place. And you can tell when a horse is angry when his nostrils flare. Because the anger has filled this large volume and it is now going to come out and be visible. And this is the way the prophet describes the Lord. He describes the Lord as if there is a large capacity for anger. And when it comes out, it will be visible. And Nahum is what the anger looks like. And wouldn't it be helpful if we had somebody or something that had maybe taken the anger of the Lord on himself so that we wouldn't have to. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? I would appreciate somebody that could do that. All right, let's just, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see that somewhere in the scripture at some point. All right, so the Lord is slow or patient to anger. This long-suffering nose and great, and so actually, literally, when you, when, if you want to compliment somebody and tell them that they are very patient, you could just say they're very big-nosed. So, there you go. There's your backhanded compliment for the day, Zeke, all right? And great in power, and will not at all acquit or hold innocent or leave unpunished the wicked. Now, you, you might be wondering, well, like, how, jealousy, that seems, that seems like a, a negative emotion, right? Well, jealousy is actually a really good emotion. Um, I want to read you something here. That God is wrathful is a consequence of his jealousy. God demands exclusive loyalty. The Bible draws a close parallel between the believer's relationship with God and marriage. These are the only relationships in which the partners are bound by an exclusive tie. Thus, they are the only relationships in which jealousy is not only tolerated, but deemed right. A man or a woman should be jealous if a third party threatens the intimacy of their marriage. Would you agree? Okay. In the same way... God is jealous when his people flirt with another deity. You're like, oh, I didn't think about it as flirting. Well, it's actually more than flirting. Several times in the Old Testament, it's called harlotry. It's like, we didn't just flirt, we actually committed adultery with another God. And then in the New Testament, you actually see some forms of worship that were actual sexual acts of worship. And you're going, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm glad it doesn't. It shouldn't. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the worship that we have been called to. 
However, here's the good thing. We have this big-nosed God, right? So he never gives way to passion. He never exceeds propriety. He never compromises his ultimate goals because of a reactionary response to current provocations. And while it may seem that at times in the Old Testament God flies off the handle, that is never, ever the case. His anger is always on purpose for his purpose. It is never accidental. And if I think back and I look at my relationship with my children, I would say, "Mm, I think I failed there. Right? Parents, have you ever had anger that you wish you could have taken back because it was not directed at the right time in the right way? God never experiences that. His anger is actually so righteous that you can go back in time and you will find him completely just and justifiable in every action of his anger. Unless you just think that's an Old Testament thing, what did Jesus do when he saw people corrupting the worship of God in the temple area? He got angry and he kicked over the tables. You're like, no, no, not meek and mild Jesus. Yes, meek and mild Jesus. Because if you want to know what the Father is like, you look at Jesus. And this is what he is like. Is there more to chapter (laughs) 1? There's more. Don't worry. Verse 3. The end of verse 3. The Lord has his way. And if... uh, I would highlight this if I were you in your Bibles. Um... meditation, Christian meditation, is thinking about a specific Bible passage in order to see how we could apply it to our own lives. That is a fantastic mantra to take through the day. The Lord has his way. The Lord has his way. And if you think about the Lord has his way, hey, Sean, if if the Lord has his way, then who doesn't have his way? That'd be us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, not the Lord. Yes. In my mind, this is an Excel spreadsheet. Those of you that are Excel junkies, right? So this is equals not the Lord. That's all other options than here. Because only the Lord gets his way. He gets his way where? Specifically in verse 3, where? In the whirlwind. (laughs) Can you imagine walking outside in the middle of a whirlwind and going, I'm going to get my way right now. No, you're not. The next time we have the thought that we are God, just walk out into the storm and tell the storm what to do. And if the storm listens, we'll try it again, uh, because you probably just got lucky. (laughs) But the storm's not going to listen. In the whirlwind and in the storm, and he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. That's amazing. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Wait, does God have feet? Does he have feet? You're like, well, the, the, the text says it does. All right, let's back up. What kind of literature is this? Poetry. This is poetic language. Technically, this is called anthropomorphism. This is taking the human characteristics of something and applying it towards something that is not a physical human being. That's your spelling word of the day, anthropomorphism, right? And go, right? Uh, God is helping us to understand himself by using language we understand. If, if God accurately described himself to us, we would not get it. So he has to use language that we can actually understand. So you can think about it as almost he dumbs it down for us so that we can relate. 
And we still didn't get it in the Old Testament, so who did he send? He sent Jesus to physically walk amongst us to see and to touch and to feel and to hear this is what God is and is like, which I think is fantastic. Then we get to verse 4. He rebukes the sea. He rebukes the sea. That reminds me of something. Maybe if we're just still for a second, we'll remember what it was. It's a really bad Bible joke with him, yeah. Shanda rolled her eyes at me on that one. She, I, I get an eye roll about three times a year, and that was a, that's a really bad one. Julie's not here today, so I can tell the really awful jokes, so that's why I'm going there. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. You're like, oh, well, that's a little more. Where did God rebuke the sea and make it dry? Exodus 14, you say. Yes. What happened in Exodus 14? Parting the Red Sea. So, so Nahum has already earlier in Nahum 1-2 quoted Exodus 20 verse 5, and now he's reminding the people of Exodus 14. So is he familiar with the Scripture? He is. Yes. Makes for a good prophet. He rebuked the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Now, this may not feel like a big deal right now, but Nineveh was actually situated uh, around a whole lot of rivers. And there was one in particular that was quite important. Uh, the Tigris River. It was just off the Tigris. It was off all these little... Uh, this is the Assyrian Empire in the 7th and 8th century. Uh, it was just off these rivers. And does anybody know the history of how Nineveh fell? Yes, there was a flood. <laughs> Who controls the rivers? The Lord does. Yes, that's right. And Nineveh was, if not the most powerful, one of the top two or three most powerful cities in the world at the time. And God took it down with a flood. Just tipped it over. And the Medes and the Babylonians came storming in and raised it to the ground. Like literally burned it to the ground. Took it down with a flood. Then he goes on in verse 4. He says, uh, Bashan, this is a region east of the Jordan. Word means fruitful. And Carmel, this is a, a hill and a town in Palestine. It also means fruitful. They wither. or they're, they're feeble. And the flower of Lebanon, this is a mountain range in Palestine, wilts. You know who occupied all three of those places at this time? Assyria did. They had total control over the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom was like a vassal state, this subject that the... If you read Second Kings, it actually uses the word vassal a couple of times. So like these propped-up kings that just kind of help things uh, are managed for the Assyrians. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him. I feel like I've heard those words before on a Sunday morning. Did you know you were singing Nahum? Who knew, right? Yeah. So imagine being a good enough poet that 2,600 years your lyrics are being sung. It's a pretty good poet. The mountains quake before him. I have trouble reading the actual words of Scripture here because I want to sing the rest of the song. If you experience this, then you have a friend in me. The, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The word means to dissolve or to make soft. And the earth 
heaves. It's this, it's this raising up at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. See, Nahum is telling the Assyrians that their world is unstable. And they are stuck in this mode. And somebody that comes to you when you're in this mode and tells you your world is unstable, you go, no, what are you talking about? Everything's great. And this is what Nahum sees. And Nahum's going, no, no, it's not great. It's about your perspective. So verse 6, who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure or continue or abide the fierceness of his anger? What do you think the blank is there? Knows, yes. It's the same word used back in verse 3. His fury, his chema, this, this rage is poured out like fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. So he controls the whirlwind, he controls the storm, he controls the waters, and now he controls flying rocks. This is, I don't, I don't think about rocks flying very often, but they're thrown down by him. So what kind of questions is Nahum asking here in verse 6? Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? These are rhetorical questions, right? Yeah. And, and they are meant to drive the reader or the listener to answer the question on their own. And if you're the Ninevites and you're in this kind of comfort, whoops, sorry, in this kind of, it's off a slide. If you're in this kind of comfort, who can stand before the Lord? I can. And we look at it on this side of the historical fact that Nineveh was overthrown and, and we see this sarcastic, taunting note, <laughs> right? Because he's taunting them here. So remember, he, he is, he is, invaded right now his land is occupied and he is taunting the enemy now this is going to do two things it's going to tick off the assyrians do you agree and it's probably going to make the israelites a little bit skittish too like what are you doing will you just stop that right because we don't we don't need to stir up a bunch of trouble here we've got it okay they're letting judah be a kingdom we have a king He's an evil king. He's not following after God, but he's a king, right? We're okay. It's not good. Verse 7, the Lord is good. You're going, well, hang on now. How, is, how, is, how do we switch gears here from he's throwing down rocks, verse 6, to the Lord is good, verse 7. Is this the same God? Yes. It's just the perspective of different people. Because God is going to judge his enemies. The Lord is good. He is a stronghold. And this, this word stronghold is used over and over in the Psalms. This place of refuge, this place of strength. This is a place where I can run to and there is safety. There is security here. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Now I've talked about this word trouble before. Uh, it means an affliction or anguish or distress. But it's actually used of the relationship between a... Uh, a wife and a rival wife. You guys remember me talking about this before? Like There were some idiots in the Old Testament that took more than one wife, which is just never commanded or suggested in the Old Testament by God that you should do this. But when you took a wife and then you took another wife, you are creating rivalry. 
everybody with me? <laughs> thank you, Darla. I was expecting a snarl from somebody. I got it. Thank you. Yes, you're going to create a lot of rivalry. This word is the rivalry between two competing wives in the same tent. Right. They didn't have, have 3,000 square foot homes here, right? It wasn't like you, you build one. Up. What are you thinking there, Jessica? You're not liking this. This is not going to be okay. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that look on your face before. It was kind of, I'll be honest, it kind of scared me there for a minute. So. Yeah, yeah, the nostrils are flaring, right, right. <clears throat> so the Lord is good and is a stronghold in the day of trouble when there is rivalry in your house. When there is rivalry in your house. You see it? Like there's literally rivalry in their house. And he knows, the Lord knows, who trust in him. Verse 8, but with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place. Huh. <laughs> now, this happened around 30 to 40 years after Nahum prophesied this flood that uh, God uses to help the Babylonians and the Medes overthrow Nineveh. But it happens. He will... With an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness or obscurity will pursue his enemies. What was the name of the king of Assyria at this time? Anybody remember? I said it like nine times last week. And I guarantee you, none of you named any of your children this name. Nobody names their kids Ashurbanipal. For one, that's just mean to a kindergarten teacher, but for two, it, it, it's an obscure name. You, you find this in Wikipedia and in history books. It's where you're going to find it. Otherwise, it's obscurity. Darkness will pursue his enemies. Verse 9, what do you conspire or cunningly work against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. <clears throat> the Assyrian army and the Assyrian Empire uh, did not rise back up to become a, the world power again. It, Nahum is like a history lesson. It's just brilliant. Verse 10, For while tangled or folded together like thorns, the idea here is something that boils or springs up very rapidly. And while drunken like drunkards, what did drunkards drink? Anything, right? Yeah. That's a good answer. Uh, in this day and age, it would have been wine. So your blank here is, do you see the imagery of drinking God's wrath? Do you see this? And what does Jesus pray in the garden? This cup? What was the cup? It's God's wrath, right? And he physically drinks it on the cross. He takes all of the wrath of the long-nosed God toward all of sin and sinners for all directions of time, and He pours it out on Jesus Christ fully and completely so that you can stand innocent before God. And I say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, when you read Nahum, your mind goes crazy thinking, I'm so glad I'm not the Assyrians. I'm so glad I'm not the Ninevites. 
Because God's wrath will be poured out. They shall be devoured, verse 10, like stubble fully dried. For from you comes forth one who plots or considers or deceives evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe, shalem. You see that spelling there? S-H-A-E-L-L-E-M? You see it? What does it look like? It looks like shalom. It's not. It's really close. This is full or just or made ready. They are safe and likewise many. If you are the Assyrian king and you look out over your empire, you have conquered Egypt, you have conquered Canaan, you have conquered uh, whatever this was called, uh, you are feeling pretty good. Right? They are safe and they are many. During the time that they are safe and they are many, Yet in this manner they will be cut down. <clears throat> Your blank here is sheep. The word here for cut down is to shear a sheep. And if you've ever seen this done live, it is incredibly fast. And it, it makes you just like, ah, we shouldn't go that fast. You should slow down. <laughs> Something's going to get hurt here. But what happens is you have this rather majestic-looking animal with all this fur at the beginning, and then you have this scrawny, thick-looking thing at the end, and it, it's, there's no majesty in this whatsoever, right? They are cut down <clears throat> when he passes through. See, the interesting thing here is that God is going to level them to the ground while they are strong, not while they are in some crazy, weakened state. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off or break up into pieces his yoke. This is the yoke that the Assyrian king had put on the southern kingdom, right? That there was a king in Judah, but there was a king above that king, and his name was not Jehovah. His name was Ashurbanipal. For I will break off his yoke among you, and I will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Now, uh, if you want to underline that you in your notes, this is a masculine singular object, you. There's only you like this in Nahum. So it's singular, so it's one person. It's masculine, so it's male. So who could we be talking about here? Ashurbanipal, that's right. This is a direct prophecy against him. The Lord has given a command concerning you, your name shall be perpetuated no longer. It will no longer be famous. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off or chew up the carved image and the molten image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. I mean, that is just, that is really harsh language. I mean, have you ever been so angry? And I hope you haven't. Have you ever been so angry at somebody that you said, I will dig your grave? Like that, like we... We wouldn't say that. I mean, that's just, I don't care how mad. Like, Shannon, he's made you mad before, right? But you've never told him, I will dig your grave, right? I mean, that's this whole other level. Of, oh, wow. <laughs> so the Stuart Heights Counseling Center is open <laughs> on Monday through Thursday nights from 6 to 9, and appointments can be made at stuartheights.org. So, all right. Great. Yes. Yes, 
but hopefully we're not digging graves in the yeah. communicate. Right, right, right. Okay, great. All right. Amen. <clears throat> All right, verse 15. You don't really mean it. No. Behold, I'm going to get back to the text. On the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. There you go. That's Jesus. You see that word for peace? That's shalom. That's the word you're looking for. That's the full-throated peace that God's talk, God talks about. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts or dances. Perform shalom, make amends your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. See, all this judgment and all this condemnation sound really awful if you're the one being condemned, but they sound really awesome if you're the one being persecuted. Because relief is on the way for God's people. And he has a name, and his name is Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus for just a second. So what's the point? Application. Number one, God has what? Enemies. So what do we do with that? All right. So share that through Jesus, enemies can become friends with God. Now, we can argue whether or not it was too late for the Ninevites later, but I'm not living in the 7th century. I'm living in the 21st. Application number two, God is angry with his enemies. I believe I mentioned this a time or two. Number two, share that through Jesus, anger can be transformed into jealousy. You're like, wait, what? Yes. He will be jealous for you and not angry with you, which is this whole other relationship. Number three, uh, God will judge his enemies. So what do we do with that? Number three, share that through Jesus, judgment can be transferred to Christ. This is propitiation. This is substitutionary atonement. This is assuagement of God's wrath. And then number four, God uses kingdoms for his purpose. Do you see how Nahum just casually talks about, I'm going to topple this and I'm going to, this is going to be overthrown and this is going to happen. And well, that's something that we can share. Share that through Jesus, citizenship in God's kingdom is rock solid. The foundations of heaven are described as having 12 layers. There's not a lot of flexibility or softening or movement there. If you think about the Old Testament prophecies against these kingdoms and the weak foundations on which they were built and contrast that with the description of heaven at the end of the book and the solidness and the secureness and the firmness and the steadiness God is very specifically making a contrast with how he talks about pagan kingdoms and how he talks about his kingdom. And we have an opportunity to participate in God's kingdom. So that is uh, Nahum chapter 1. And I would argue that it is not the most fun of the three uh, chapters. There is more interesting stuff ahead. So um, as we go forward... Uh, I would encourage us to, uh, if you want to go back and uh, listen to any of these prior lessons, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and click the subscribe button. Um, you did have some homework last week, right? 
you did have some homework last week. If I can get my clicker to work. There we go. Did anybody watch the Bible Project video on Nahum? Yes? It's literally like five minutes long. If you didn't watch it, you should probably go watch it. It's a really good uh, five-minute synopsis of the whole book. Uh, all right, so uh, your weekly update is there on your, pay, on your table. So if you will grab your weekly update, uh, lean in, engage, share prayer requests. Some of you have already done that. Uh, make sure that your name is printed at the bottom of that page. That's how we do attendance. Uh, please, 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 everybody do this. My wife is not here today, so I will be doing attendance, which means I need you to do this because she normally makes up for some of you that come in late and don't ever do this. So, no, you got to write your names down today because the office is going to get after me if I don't do this. So I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. All right, after you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.